By the good providence of God, we are here gathered together today, and I'm, my sentiments is with Gary, as he said, it's a joy to be here. It's a joy to see each one of you here. And we're especially happy today that my brother Ray and his wife Dottie are here, and we appreciate that so much. And Tanya, we're happy you're here with us. So glad you're here. And so I... George, it's good to have you with us always. I know, uh, Joyce, that you've been going through a rough time, and we pray for you. We are talking about Christ, the key to the people of God. We're in a series right now, and that series is about the people of God, and we had started out with quite a few things but I want you to notice first in our reading this morning, Colossians 1, 16 and 17, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Most of the time, if you ask somebody why this world was created, they will say it was created for man. But this says that it was created for Christ. And of course, we're going to enjoy the reigning with Christ. He made this for him. And so everything is going to center around Jesus Christ. We have talked about in the past God's purpose for man. And then we talked about physical Israel a means to bring Christ into the world. And then the real Israel, which is a remnant. And I want us to re recognize that something happened with the physical Israel that today they are inconsequential. The physical Israel really has no meaning today because if you will remember, in Colossians, the second chapter, he pointed out that he had taken the Jew and Gentile, put them together into what is called the church. And that is the real people of God. That is the real Israel of God. And then in Romans the ninth chapter, verse 6 and 7, he says, but it is not those the word of God has failed. And what he is talking about there is that the Jews were saying, well, God didn't pick the people he said he was going to pick. And Paul is saying, oh, yes, he did. But physical Israel is not the people. Physical Israel is not the people. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, he says, and not all the children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. In Romans 2, 28 and 29, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, that is physically, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And then in Philippians 3, 3, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. So as he says that, I want you to remember that he had pointed out in, in Galatians 3, 26 through 29, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, we are all one in Christ Jesus. That one in Christ Jesus is the church. And so that's where we've got to. 
And the Gentiles became one nation with the remnant called the church. And our passage in Colossians tells us it's all about Christ, nothing else. He is the true Israel. Christ is the true Israel. If you remember, God in the Old Testament said, I've called my son out of Egypt. In the New Testament, he says, I've called my son out of Egypt, pointing to the real Israel, which is Christ, and all of those that are in Christ are Israel. The remnant, those having faith, the promised seed. In other words, you can't be saved without faith. I can come and say I'm a Jew or I'm a Gentile, and God says not to me. I look at the heart, and we talked about him choosing King David. Now, I want to see something today. God's eternal purpose. God's purpose in creating man demanded free moral agency on man's part. And what I'm saying there is very simple. Man had a choice whether to obey God or not to. And he chose not to obey God. In fact, what man did was he tried to become God. He wanted to know the same things God. He wanted to rule his own life. And therefore, he followed after the suggestion of Satan. Eve became corrupted by sin. And this affected everything, and you and I even. But he had the choice and this is something that people are teaching today that Adam and Eve really had no choice, that God had purposed that they sin. Well, God is not the author of sin. So when you look at that, man had the choice and he had an eternal purpose before time ever began. In Ephesians, the third chapter, verse 8 through 11, Paul says, that, and he's a wonder at this, unto me who am less than the least of all saints was this grace given to preach unto the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what the, is the dispensation of the mystery which for ages hath been hid in God who created all things to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in the heavenly places might be made known through the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you'll remember, if we studied, and I don't have time to go into all this, but he had pointed out that the angels couldn't figure out how a just God could remain just and still justify sinful man. It was just an impossibility. And so heaven is even wondering how, and we know God says he's going to save man, but how is he going to do it? And then when they see Christ die upon the cross, when they see him resurrected, when they see him ascend into heaven and everything given into his hands, then they can say, that's how God's going to do it. They could understand it then. So to the principalities and powers, that is the unseen world that we don't see, all of a sudden they understood how God would justify man. And then if you remember over in 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10, he said, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So as you look at this, you see this, something that God is doing. He saved us, and he gave us a holy calling, he says, 
And it's by his grace and purpose, or his purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before he ever created the world, God had a plan, and that plan was when man sinned, that he would rescue him, and Jesus Christ would pay the price for him, and man could then obey the gospel. So, looking at that, we see the grace and mercy given in Jesus Christ as he would die for us in our sins. In Romans 3, 23 through 25, for all have sinned. Now that's you and I, that's even Dion. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, we have sinned and even though we may have obeyed the gospel, we still fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption, that is, he purchased that which was his, that had been kidnapped, he brings it back to him, that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. You know, I've told you this about propitiation before. Propitiation, I, could, I remember the first time I ever saw the word, I kept saying prop, 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 I couldn't pronounce it. Propitiation, what is it? Well, it's an appeasement. I use the example that I have a fight with Paige, and I tell you she's mad at me, she doesn't want to see me, and I go out and I buy her a dozen red roses. Well, I buy her yellow roses. I then come and hold, just open the door. She doesn't want to see me, I open the door, and I hold that in there, and it melts her heart, and she says, come on in. Jesus Christ is our bouquet of roses. He is the propitiation for us. And not for us only, but for all of those in the world. He died, and everybody, he died for their sins, and they can go to heaven. They can have a relationship with God. They can overcome the sin. He is the one that did this, and it's by his blood. And the blood, you know, that's the violent death that he suffered. And his blood pays the price for us. We want to keep that before us at all times, that you can't be saved without the blood of Christ. You can't be a part of his special people without the blood of Christ. If you have the blood of Christ, and you've reached the blood of Christ, then you can go to heaven. Then you can be saved. Then you are safe because you're hiding in Christ. None of us are really righteous. God calls us righteous because we're in Christ. Does that make sense? Okay. And it's to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. What former sins? Well, the former sins of David, the former sins of Samuel, the former sins of all of these individuals back in the Old Testament. He said, I'm going to save you because you believe in the promise that I have that Jesus Christ is coming, the seed is coming, and I'm going to justify you on the basis of you will be put into him. You will be a part of him. So that's what he's doing when we read about that. And all of these shadows in the Old Testament point to Christ. Do you remember the very first sacrifice? Do you remember Adam and Eve got up and all of a sudden they looked at each other and they were naked? You remember that? 
And you know what that nakedness was? You can't be trusted. That's the problem. You can't be trusted anymore. And so, oh, this is embarrassing. God's going to see us naked. And they put fig leaves around. And God said, that's not sufficient. There has to be a shedding of blood to cover your sins. So, an animal was killed, and God made them coats. Now, he didn't make bikinis. He made them coats to cover up their nakedness. Cain and Abel. In Genesis 4, 3, and 4, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of through the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of the fat, their fat portion. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Why did God say, you know what? Both of them were giving. But God says, I like your giving. I like what you are giving to me. Why is that? Well, in Hebrews 11:4, by faith, Abel offered to God. Do you get that? By faith, Abel offered to God. One offered by faith, the other didn't offer by faith. One says, you know what, God, you really ought to do good to me because I'm offering you my first fruits. And God said, why are you offering it? Well, that's, you ought to be appreciative of God. And the other said, this is what you told me to do. I'm doing it because I trust you and you're going to take care of it. So he offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. How do we get to God? I want you to see something. Man is saved totally, absolutely, positively by grace. You're not saved by anything else. Your faith is not that which saves you. But faith in God is what takes you to the grace of God. Romans 5, 1 and 2. It's by that grace, by, by my faith, that I can get to the grace of God. And when my faith meets the grace of God, then we're going to have salvation. Noah and the ark. Think about it. In Genesis 7, 2, take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate. What's this clean animals and unclean animals about? The clean animals are for sacrifice to God. If you notice, in Genesis 8, 20, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of the every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Now, we don't have that today, and I'm going to tell you why. We don't have it because Christ is our offering. He died for you and me. We get caught up into what kind of a man I look like, and we think, you know, God looks down and says, Mason, you are really pretty. <laughs> well, God doesn't think Mason's pretty. God says, I'm going to love Mason no matter how ugly he is on the outside. Does he have faith in me? Yes. That's the key to the whole thing. We sometimes get caught up in physical things when we ought to be thinking spiritual things. 
I want to be a member of the church, not some group that is not connected to Christ. When Judaism was established as the religion of the Israelites, God gave them specific commands regarding blood. Do you remember over in Genesis 12, 8, from there he moved, this is Abraham, from there he moved to the hill country of the east of Bethel, pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Now, why did he call upon the name of the Lord? To be saved. That's why you call upon the name of the Lord. Do you remember the Apostle Paul in Acts the 22nd chapter? Whenever he had been blinded from the vision that he had seen and Jesus had talked to him and he was blind for three days and went over and was waiting for somebody to come tell him what to do. And he said, why tarest thou here? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sin, calling on the name of the Lord. In other words, it's obedience. When I obey God, I totally depend upon him to do what he said he would do. That's calling on the name of the Lord. And he built that altar to do that. So there's a shedding of blood there. And he had pointed out all the way through, this is the plan of God. It's going to take blood. Blood, blood, blood. He said in John, Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you, it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. You have to pour out the life in order to get atonement. And that is God is bringing us back to him. Do you remember what John the Baptist said the next day? He saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God that take, who takes away the sin of the world. He didn't say the sins. He said the sin of the world. What's the sin of the world? God and man had become enemies. And now God says, Because of this sacrifice, I will look at man and I will look favorably, and if he wants to repent, I will allow it. Now, I'm making that just as simple as I can because I don't want to go too far. But blood was required for sin, and he, Hebrews, the ninth chapter, he says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. How many people think that they're saved? just simply because they think they do good. I have a fellow preacher that left the Lord a long time ago and now serves alcoholics. But he thinks that all is required by God is that you be a good person. I'm going to tell you, none of us are good. You may think you're good, but you're not good. And so he is pointing out he said, thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, with, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered into the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but in he into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. He said, here, what you're seeing is something that is happening in heaven. And we're using this as a shadow to bring it over to here to the reality which is all found in Christ Jesus. 
If you don't see that, you've missed the whole point. All of this is so important. Isaiah said he was wounded for our transgressions. Why did Jesus die? Because you transgressed. Who should have been on the cross? Well, I should have. When I stand at the foot of the cross and it's level all the way around for everybody, when I look there, God, that should be me. That should be me upon the cross. But instead, you have put your son there. And your son being there is paying for what I did. That doesn't seem fair. And that's right. It's not. It's not fair. But God said, I promise that I will do it. The prophets and the officers all appointed to Christ. Whether it's the high priest or who it was in the Old Testament, they all point to Jesus Christ. The high priest, the tabernacle, the temple, all of that. You remember Jesus said, you tear down this temple, this temple here, and I'll build it back up in three days. This temple, this is the place of worship. Jesus Christ is our place of worship. This is not the place of worship. This is the place we're in contact with Jesus, and he is our worship. People don't like this, but I can go to any one of you and ask for forgiveness. That really doesn't matter. He says in 1 Timothy 2, 5, and 6, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Who stands between man and God? Jesus Christ, the man. He is the only one. And he is the only one to whom I need to confess to him my sins and I have direct operation with God through Jesus Christ. Many people do not see that. Instead, we go through men. There's one of the things that you need to recognize. And I'll just say this. We have elevated the preachers to a position that they should not be. I only stand here so I can speak to you, not because I'm above you. And I've always noticed that we have strange ideas. This is the preacher's wife. We don't say this is the electrician's wife. This is the preacher's wife. And we have made somewhere along the line way back they have what they call the clergy. If you drive into a parking lot today in a hospital, you'll see clergy parking. And we have elevated them, and God took away all of this. I'm not a reverend. I'm not the pastor. We have pastors who are called elders in the Bible. But I'm Mason French, and I'm a preacher. That means I'm a servant. That's all it means. Jesus took that away. When you think of Matthew 28, 8 through 10, uh, so I'll just tell you and paraphrase it. He said, as far as your master, 
don't you call anybody your master. And as far as a rabbi, don't call anybody a rabbi. As father, as father, spiritually, don't call any man father. Don't elevate any man. What about the apostles? They said no. The only thing that we operate on is the authority of Jesus Christ. There is no one between that. So when people call, call me reverend, the Bible says there's only one that's reverend, and that is God. He is reverend, not me, not any preacher, and there is nobody that is our father, spiritual father, because Jesus said don't call anybody father. But man comes along and says, well, I don't think he really meant that. Do you know what the argument is? You call your father father, don't you? Well, if it's wrong to call your father father, if we take it out of context, then don't call your father father. That's the simple thing. 1 Peter 2, 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Do you see that? It's a spiritual house. It's not a physical Israel. It's a spiritual house. What is that spiritual house? It's the church. You're a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We say, well, I offer money every Sunday here. That money doesn't mean one thing to God. What means something is did your heart go with it? Is it for the service of God? You know, I can give John and Angela $1,000. And they say, oh, Mason, you're such a great guy. Why did I give it? Was it to give glory to God or is it to get them to say what a great guy I am? We've got everything turned around backwards today, it seems like. So he says, be spiritual. We, the church is becoming a social institution. It's not. It's spiritual people. That's what the church is. If you don't get anything else, it's not about potlucks. It's not about how your hat looks. It's not about how you dress. It's not about any of that. It's about I've come and I'm with a bunch of people that has given their hearts to God. That's what it's about. And if there's any other reason that you're here, it doesn't do you any good. We need to understand. We need to get that. To be a Christian, you have to sacrifice the most personal thing you have. That's you. Well, Romans 12, 1, he says, offer your bodies a living sacrifice. And so when I give myself... Do you remember he said you have, to you have to take up your cross. First you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. I'm not going to follow some group. How many Church of Christers are there in the world? Now that's shocking. How many Church of Christers? Why not just be a Christian? I loved what Stephen told me before service. 
He said he was talking with somebody in the denominational world, and this fellow, Stephen, asked him, do you take the Lord's Supper every Sunday morning? And he said, uh, no, we do it once a month. Why? Well, we do it once a month so it doesn't get to be old hat. And Stephen said, do you take a collection every Sunday? Well, yeah. Hmm. That sounds strange. Why doesn't that get to be old hat? They usually do it more than that, don't they? He says in Hebrews 13, 15, how to show your sacrifice. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. You know what? There is one member here in this congregation that I appreciate. I appreciate all of you. But Mary, I appreciate you because you know what? When something really good is said, she says, Amen. Or I've even heard her say, and oh my, in the church of Christ, you don't do this. Hallelujah. <laughs> huh? Mary, that's shocking. You embarrass Don. I know you do. It's like I told you, there was, Brother Turner was speaking one time, and he was going along, and there was a guy in the back, and it was brand new, and he said, everything Brother Turner started to say, he'd say, praise the Lord. And it was a little distracting, and he went on, and he said, praise the Lord. And he'd say something, I'd praise the Lord. And finally, one of the ushers went up there and said, you can't praise the Lord in here. <laughs> so you see... You can be too loose and you can be too liberal, but you can also be too strict. Do you realize that individual Christians are invited into the very presence of God? Oh, do you appreciate that? In Hebrews 4, 14 through 6, since we, then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God, I prayed to you. I don't even know whether you heard me. He didn't. Did you get that? That's not approaching in confidence, is it? If I approach in confidence, God is going to hear me because Christ promised that he would intercede for me and I'm praying to God. My prayer is heard. But you know one of the things that we make a mistake with? God does not answer prayers in our time. He answers in his time. We need to understand that. You know... I used to pray that I'd be good looking, and he answered it. <laughs> I'm teasing here. <laughs> Institutions have been destroyed, and I don't mean the setting up. The institutions, as you do, you would have a university or something. Those have been destroyed as far as spiritual values. No institution stands between God and man. Neither apostles or any other man 
can forgive sins. You know, when Simon the sorcerer sinned, he was accused and said, you know what? You're in the depth of iniquity. And he said, pray to God for me. Because he was told, pray to God. Can we pray for each other? Yes. Yes. But I don't need anybody as a go-between. I pray to God. And apostles have no authority except to operate on the authority of Christ. And the authority of Christ is seen in the gospel. In Galatians 1, 8, and 9, the apostle says, But even if we, that is apostles, we are an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. We have to stay in the gospel. As I said this morning, I have lived my life after becoming a Christian as a hypocrite, as unfaithful, judging others by the word of God when I didn't judge myself. And I'm going to tell you something. When you really give your life to Christ, all that ends. And you just give him your heart and you're so thankful that you did. There are no new rules or revelations that's going to come. I want us to see we have it all. In John 16, 13, to the apostles, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare you the things that are to come. If you have all of the truth, there is no more. You've got everything that God wants. And in 2 Peter 1.3, he says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Everything is right there in your Bible. What we have to know is put that into us and live it. That's the lesson. And we invite you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know God loves you? Do you know God loves you with all of his heart? He gave his most precious thing, that is his son, his only son, to die upon the cross of Calvary for you. And if you recognize that, then you believe in his son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done for you. You repent, and that means that you change your mind to who's going to direct your life. I've done it this way for so long, and now I'm going to do it his way. You confess before men the sweetest name that's ever been named, that Jesus Christ is the living Son of God, and be baptized for the remission of sins as you enter into the death of Christ, where he shed his blood, and thereby you are cleansed from your sins, and that's the circumcision of the heart as you come up a brand new person. That's the new birth. Won't you come while together we stand and sing?